Welcome to Hive Mind. This is Meg. I'm here with Eli. Eli, long I, time no no Hive Mind. I know. I don't like these breaks that we take every once in a while. How's it going? Just so good. I watched a lot of TV and movies since we last talked. You did? <laughs> sure did. Okay, I want to hear about them. But first, we got a, a message from someone who called in. Amy Scott called in with this message. Let's uh, Let's take a listen. I watched Nightcrawler with my husband and he fell asleep. I don't know maybe 45 minutes into the film and at when it was over he kind of woke up and I was like I can't believe you didn't like that I thought that was a really good movie and he goes it just took too long for him to turn blue and if you're as confused as I am you might be but he thought this movie was about Nightcrawler from the X-Men movies and just couldn't understand why the origin story was taking so long to get started so that's my Nightcrawler story Incredible. Absolutely incredible. <laughs> this is what we live for. Also, I kind of wish that I had fallen asleep in that movie. I know. You didn't Same. like it. It was fine. Um, we are we are going to continue our Is Jake Gyllenhaal Good series or rather the <laughs> Convince Eli that Jake Gyllenhaal is good series. We took a little break because we needed to talk about Bo Burnham's Inside. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to do In the Heights next week. But we'll be back with more Jake Gyllenhaal content after that. But first, before we get to Inside by Bo Burnham, Eli, tell me, what is it you've been watching? Okay, so I did some bonus research on Jake Gyllenhaal. Did you watch the Sack I, Lunch Bunch? No, I watched. I, I remember he was in that. Yeah, he's great I in that. Fine. Yeah. Uh, no, I I watched Zodiac. Oh, right. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, it's good. It's long. Oof, it is violent. Uh, it's about the Zodiac Killer. They do a very good job helping you understand how scary it was. Because I feel like all of my understanding around the Zodiac Killer are just jokes. The Zodiac Killer that is That Ted up. Cruz is the Zodiac yeah. Killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Zodiac Killer is a punchline. And I, I guess I've never actually investigated what the Zodiac Killer was. And this movie is terrifying. And it's Jake Gyllenhaal's in it, and he plays this cartoon artist who works at a newspaper, and he is becomes obsessed with trying to figure out who the Zodiac Killer is. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, you know, kind of mystery. He's pretty good in it. Okay. I think he's pretty good in it. Okay. I'm not willing to become a Jake Gyllenhaal fan based off of this movie, but if this was the only thing I had ever seen him in, I'd be like, yeah, that guy's a pretty good actor. What's the movie that, like, you were like, oh, I hate him? 2012 is when it, like, finally... Well, everyone in that movie... But he was extra. Okay. All right. Go on. What else have you been watching? Have you seen Wine Country starring every woman from SNL? Yes. Yeah. It is one of the dumbest movies I have ever seen in my life. It has like Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Rachel Dratch. I think Rachel Dratch, by the way, is outperforming everybody in it. And um, who is the lesbian in it? She's lesbian in real life, too. Yeah. I recognize her. I couldn't. She she is on one of the funniest episodes of Documentary Now. Oh, really? The Stephen Sondheim episode. Oh, okay. I'll check she, it out. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I want Paula Pell. Yeah. 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 That's right. And um, it, it's Tina Fey is so bad at it. And her, <laughs> her character is really odd. Uh, this movie is so terrible, but it has some legitimately really funny jokes. And these are funny people. Yeah. And it, I kind of just got the impression that somebody called them all up and was like, hey, what if we pay you $100,000 to come spend a weekend with your friends filming something that we are writing as we drive there? And they were all like, sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt like when I watched it, I was like, I'm just chilling with my yeah. friends. Yeah. 
it's not like the it's not even that entertaining but i was like i just enjoy spending time with these people right it's low quality yeah it's sloppy (laughs) but there are some legitimately funny like laugh out loud jokes i watched the david copperfield movie did you like it it's yeah it's good it's i don't think it's a movie i would watch a lot of times no it felt like a slog to me a little a little bit. Oh, well, I think David Copperfield, it's, the story is, is a bit of a slog. Because there's a lot going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, it's very whimsical. It's filmed in like a really interesting way. The performances are very good. Uh, it reminded me of my incredible crush on Dev Patel. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know. He's adorable. Because I haven't seen him in a while and I kind of forgot about him. Yeah. And then as soon as like I got like five minutes into this movie, I was watched it on a plane and I tapped Skylar and I said Skylar I need to tell you something he looked at my screen he said you would leave me for Dev Patel and I was like yes and he was like I understand uh Hugh Laurie in that movie yeah delightful so good I love Hugh Laurie in everything me too in Veep mm-hmm. so great pitch perfect in Veep um Hoarders has dropped on Netflix oh no and unfortunately I have gotten into a bad habit of watching it why I don't know why that show makes me feel very bad I feel like back when it started it was very fun to watch because you got to see houses get cleaned up and the before and after makeover of a home was like, you know, fun to see. Yeah. These episodes I keep watching on Netflix are just like terrible people being really mean to their families. And then they always end with, we kind of got the house cleaned up and two months later they went right back to their habits. And it's like, why did I just spend 90 minutes on that? Because the episodes are so long. I saw an animal hoarder one. (laughs) It was really bad. Dead cats in the basement. Yeah. 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 And you just feel bad, you know, you feel bad for the animals. You feel bad for the people who somehow got to that place in their lives. Yeah. And it's like, this isn't fun. No, it's depressing. If you like, it's like voyeuristic at that point, you know? Yeah. So you're a bad person for watching it. (laughs) And I'm feeling bad watching it. Uh, My last thing that I watched is I watched Suffragette. Did you ever see this? I did not even know this existed. Uh, No, I never saw it, but. It stars Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. I have, is it bad? It's fine. It's a fine movie. I it, I think it has like sixty five percent on Rotten Tomatoes or something. Okay. It's fine. Middle of the road. The story is is interesting. You know, it's about women's rights in in England trying to get the vote. Um, I learned something from it. But it, the funny thing that I want to tell you about this is the reason I watched it is Netflix was advertising it to me, and the Netflix like square when you pull it up is just a picture of Meryl Streep dressed in uh, in suffragette clothing. And I was like, oh, a Meryl Streep movie. How exciting. Mm-hmm. So we start watching it. We get n- like 90 minutes into this thing and have not seen Meryl Streep. And I'm like, where's Meryl Streep? This is supposed to be a Meryl Streep movie. Finally, she shows up. Meryl Streep is in this film for 30 seconds. She interacts with no one. She walks out onto a balcony and gives like a 30 second speech. And that is her entire role in this film. Netflix is like, Let's market this as a Meryl Streep film. But just to you. Did you know to, that the, the squares mm-hmm, change depending on who you are? That's what, because they know who Eli McCann yeah. is. They're like, he'll watch anything with Meryl Streep yeah. on the cover. And it's so, like, I am 100% convinced that the producer called Meryl Streep and was like, Meryl, I want you in a movie. And before she could say anything else, Meryl was like, I will walk out onto my balcony on Tuesday at three. You may bring camera. You may record. I will wear what I want to wear and I will say what I want to say. And you will build a movie around that and you will pay me $2 million to do it. And they were like, deal. And so she like put on clothes from the twenties and walked out and was like, whoa, women fine. 
great. Yeah. And then she walked back in and they're like, I guess it's a suffragette movie. <laughs> like, Call Carrie Mulligan. <laughs> I, see I am, if she's free. And Carrie Mulligan is really good at it. And I had n- I've never seen Carrie Mulligan in anything other than Promising Young Woman. Oh, really? So this was my first time. You never saw an education? Mm-mm. You would like an education. You have told me that many times. I am going to actually make a note of that and watch it. It's a really great movie. And that was the first time I saw her. And she's very good in it. She's also in Drive. I and I've never, I don't think I could do Drive. It's a lot of driving. <laughs> I just did a lot of driving. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what have you been watching? Okay, so I've been watching a lot of stuff for the podcast, honestly. Uh, Bachelorette's back on, Top Chef. Emily and I are doing a Patreon series on Cruel Summer. If you want details on all of those, obviously, listen to the podcast, subscribe to the Patreon. Last we talked, I told you I was going to go see Cruella. Yes. And I actually did end up taking my kids. Okay. It is fun. It's a fun movie. It's an hour too long. Okay. And I took... Ivy, who is nine, and she did pretty well the whole time. And Ramona, who is six, and the six-year-old was losing her mind by the end of this. Really? It's just long. And I'm kind of like, if you're not making this for kids, it's not for adults. It's not adult enough to be for adults. Okay. Again, who is this for? Uh-huh. They've, that's a real problem they've got to solve with these live-action Disney movies. Do they do? Do they get really plotty at the end? Like, because Disney does that. Yes. And it me like, crazy. there's a moment where you're like, "Oh, this is it. It's over." And then they introduce an entire new heist idea. Yeah. No. 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 Two and a half hours is too long for a movie about a Disney villain. It's two and a half hours. It's two and a half hours. What? Yeah. That movie has no right to be I two know. and a half hours. I know. And it's a shame because if that was a tight 90, you know, I'd go again. Like my kids would love it. I don't think I can ever watch it if it's that long. It's long. I mean, the costumes are so fun. Emma Stone is great. She's she just great really fun to watch. Emma Thompson is so fun to watch. Good. It's just long. Huh. So... I just make a movie I can take my kids to and we'll all enjoy. No wonder your six-year-old isn't sitting through that. Yeah, exactly, right? Huh. Anyway, so um, I'm watching the jazz games. They were good. They were bad. Hopefully tonight is good. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gone with the Wind for the Patreon. We are about to record. We are now doing an $8 Patreon tier. A few of you have already upgraded. Thank you so much. Um we uh, we are doing all of the Best Picture winners from the Academy Awards, starting with Gone with the Wind, moving forward. So we hope that you upgrade or subscribe to that second tier and join along. And then we watched Bo Burnham's Inside. And Eli, I think we had very different experiences with this. <sighs> so I think that this is the first real piece of art we've had about the pandemic. And I think it's interesting to examine how we feel about it Right now in June of 2021, when things have really been looking up, Mm -hmm. I feel like I would have had a very different experience watching this six months ago. And I'd have a very different experience watching this six months from now. Sure. Uh, This felt a little bit triggering, but at the same time, I really related to it. Mm -hmm. I felt like this was someone putting on screen, I mean, a hyperbolic version of the things I felt uh-huh. in 2020. Uh-huh. And it was in a way cathartic, but it also was a stressful experience for me. I think that Bo Burnham and I have a lot of shared neuroses mm-hmm. and watching this hit a little too close to home. And I spent a lot of 2020 trying to navigate how to make content in a time when with like 
crippling depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. and that was a real struggle and he very effectively demonstrated what that felt like you didn't care for this I, I will. I'm not going to disagree with any of the points you just made. Okay. I felt the same way about all of those things. I think that he released it at the right time. It did make me suddenly feel like I was back in May of last year. I, it was very weird watching it and yeah. seeing this man trapped in a room and especially being content creators. You know, you and I are writers. We create podcasts and whatever. I remember us trying to figure out how to get creative with creating content and suddenly having fewer resources, less manpower really to be able to do what we wanted to do the emotional drain and uh, yeah all of that and then on top of it being depressed and stressed and worried and anxious and wondering like well how do i even talk about what's happening right now and what's sensitive and what's insensitive all of that was very difficult to navigate and watching him do that was really interesting to me um i think bo burnham is an exceptionally talented person uh I want to like his specials so much and I cannot do it. Okay. So the the my first exposure to Bo Burnham was eighth grade, the, the oh. movie, which I love. It's one of my favorite movies of the last five years. And and people told me like, oh, well, he's a comedian. He does these specials. And I was like, well, I'm sure I'll love his stuff because I love this movie so much. So Sky and I pulled up one of his old, like early specials on Netflix or whatever, wherever it is. Yeah. And I could barely make it through it. Okay. And because to me, it was like a man, high energy, dancing around a stage with lights flashing, screaming, and then he'd walk over to a microphone and be like, poop, fart, ha ha, and then he'd sing an sure. annoying song. And it was just like, oh, this is not for me at all. But I thought, when I heard when I heard he did this, this new special, I thought, okay, well, he was like 21 when he did that special. And I was like already man of a certain age in his mid-30s. I was like, maybe it just like was not generationally working so I was like I guess he's like 30 now or in his 30s and he's done some other stuff so maybe I'll like this and it just kind of felt a little bit the same to me okay not as bad it's it's uh antagonistic Mm -hmm. it's hostile at times yeah I think that that's not for everyone yeah uh confrontational yeah and and musical comedy, which is what he's doing, it's like song after song after song. I have a little bit of a hard time with because it's so repetitive. Mm, yeah. And so I feel like we're beating the same joke to death. And so he'll start a new song and I'm like, I get the joke. I think it's a clever joke. I think it's funny. But now I have to listen to your voice, which I find a little bit grating. Sing about it for four more minutes. Yeah. And so, but I have a lot of friends who I usually share like a lot of interest in media with who are like, no, I wanted the songs to go on longer. Like I liked sitting in those. And so just for whatever reason, it does not work for me. And I wish it did. I've listened to him do a couple interviews. Apparently someone once told him your comedy is for eighth grade girls, (laughs) Um, you know, because there's like highbrow comedy. And then he's kind of one of those comedians where real comedians are like, Bo Burnham. Really? And based on that comment, he decided to write eighth grade. Because he thought, you know, eighth grade girls have their own internal lives and interests and they are worthy of their own stories. So I thought Mm -hmm. that was interesting. Um, I heard him on the WTF podcast talk about his anxiety and these panic attacks he was getting before shows, Mm -hmm. which he addresses in the special. And part of me wonders if that hostility that comes across is a defense mechanism Mm. against that anxiety. Because I think if you strip Bo Burnham down, what you get is like a very terrified person. Mm-hmm. And so he's using these jarring jokes 
to put a wall between him and people. Okay. Does that make sense? I can see that does make sense. And I can see, I understand why there is an audience for it. It just isn't entertaining to me. I don't think this was particularly funny. Okay. But I thought it was incredibly insightful. Okay. And I thought that the way it was done was really interesting. Um, I thought that the cuts between songs and between him cleaning the lens of the camera and talking through a window and then another song and then just staring. I just thought it was it was a very accurate representation of a time in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. He my, my favorite song, the one that I actually really did enjoy was he has a song about what it's like to FaceTime with your mom during yes. a pandemic. And if if you are in your 20s or 30s and have boomer parents, you know exactly what trying to FaceTime and use like technology to communicate with your parents within a in a very special way. My parents suddenly learned how to do Marco Polo when the pandemic started because they wanted to be able to more like effectively send videos and receive videos of their grandkids. And I mean, it was like three months of getting Marco Polos of my parents, uh, but just of their foreheads. And then them saying like saying sentences and and speaking their punctuation because they kept forgetting they weren't like dictating notes into Siri. Yeah. So it'd be like, how are you guys? <laughs> Question mark. And we just and we kept having to like send them back. Mom, dad, this is a video. And then they would like respond and be like, we got it. Exclamation mark. And it's like, are you guys punking us? And yeah. so Bo Burnham's song about trying to talk to his mom and explain to her that she, she has her thumb on the camera and whatever was very relatable. And it did take me right back to like April 2020, trying to communicate with all of like the boomers and my grandparents in like a very different way than we had previously. And being like, man, we if we had the foresight, we could have trained them on technology right. before this all hit. Right, you know? right. My favorite one he does is the first one he does where he's like, man, everything's bad. What's the answer? And the answer is white guy comedy. Yeah. I thought that was very self-deprecating and funny. And yeah. He's in on the joke. Yeah, he's a really skilled writer and I think mm-hmm. he's clever. Um, what's really interesting about the special is that it was just him. There was no yeah. crew. He just used, he had a stationary camera and he had a GoPro and he did the music and he did the editing. He did all the filming. He did all the writing. Um, and it took him a year yeah. to make this special. And How did it make you feel that he, w- he produced that while... Like I was, I kept watching it. And I was like, I wonder if I could have gotten more done last year. <laughs> yeah, I, my honest answer to that was, I had these moments last year when I was like, I wonder if I should write about how I'm feeling right now. Mm-hmm. But I felt like if I did that, I would look back on it and roll my eyes for how emotional and dramatic I was being. Yeah. Watching that, I thought maybe I should have. Mm-hmm. Like, I would probably think it was emotional and overdramatic, but that is legitimately how I felt at the time. Yeah. This also made me, it gave me per- some perspective on how truly wild last year was. Uh-huh. Like we're in Utah, things have been like pretty normal for a while now. And I've kind of been like, great, let's move forward. Uh Looking back for this brief moment, it was like, oh, we didn't leave our house for three months. Yeah. And then when we did, we like barely went anywhere. Yeah. And we were in masks and face shields and standing six feet away from other people. That was crazy. Yeah. That was a crazy time. Maybe it's not dramatic to say that was the hardest year of my life. Yeah. April 2020, like 
feels like it was 20 years ago to me. It feels so distant to me now. And I don't know if it's just like my brain just kind of pushing it back, but it was, it was such an odd, odd time. And I think forever I'm going to feel a mix between nostalgia and anxiety whenever I think about that time, because there were parts of it that I think, you know, we've talked about were positive for a lot of people on an individual level, getting us to slow down, spending time with our families. You'll hear that from, I think a lot of people like, well, you know, I did, I did see my family a lot more for, you know, that, that amount of time, but then all of that anxiety. And I just remember like, sitting at my laptop and working every morning and just like wondering like what was going to happen or how bad is this going to get? And just like feeling like it was so difficult to focus on anything, Mm -hmm. whether it was creative work or my job or, you know, just a conversation with my husband. And it, yeah, it was, it was kind of trippy to just go back and watch somebody in the middle of that, uh, working through those exact same things that I was trying to work through at the time. And a running theme of this was how can you joke at a time like this, which is something that I very much felt last Mm -hmm. year. Is it okay to try and be funny? People are dying in like huge numbers. How can I joke at a time like this? But also people need to laugh. Mm -hmm. And that weird conflict between those two ideas. And he, you know, he's, there's a line where he's like, look, daddy gave you some content. Yeah. Aren't you so grateful for my content? And that's sometimes how being a content creator feels. But you're like, you are that content. So you're putting that out into the world. And if you don't like that content, you don't like me. And if you don't like what I'm doing in the middle of the pandemic, does that mean I'm a bad person? Like there's just all these ideas mixed up into that and all these contradictions. And it was just really, it was a really hard time. We last year, you know, you and I and and others were writing um, pieces for the Beehive and that took a lot of like our kind of creative capacity in 2020, which I was really grateful for. And I felt like uh, we all together as kind of a creative group were constantly having like a Slack conversation about what is this okay for us to joke about this this week or can I write this thing? And especially in June last year um, with the Floyd stuff that all happened we like really went into this conversation about like what how how do we even create content right now when th- everything is so sad yeah and it was hard to navigate that it was really hard bo burnham had the advantage here of creating content that was not being released at that time right you know so he can pump it out later when things are less sad but he's still dealing with the sadness while he's creating the content, you know, and that's. Yeah. Well, and you can kind of mark the special, too, by what was happening in 2020 based on the song. So he has that interaction with Sako, a puppet, and he's talking about equity and where what white people should do in this. And it was essentially get out of the way. This isn't about you. Be an ally. But it's not about your own self-actualization. And those were like actual conversations yeah. we had as a creative team. Yeah. You know, like that was something everyone was trying to navigate and he just articulated it Yeah, so well. Mm-hmm. It was by the end, I was like, I need this thing to end because I am depressed <laughs> and I kind of want to forget and move on. But mm-hmm. I just thought it was an interesting opportunity to reflect on just how hard in a very specific way 2020 was. So have you liked his other specials? I haven't watched him. Oh, okay. I'd be curious what you think. I mean, I, I wa- he was on Vine for a long time, and okay. so I'd see his Vines, but that's one at a time. Yeah. I bet a whole special gets a to lot. be a lot. Uh. He, You know, he's really interesting in interviews. He did another interview. It was either Fresh Air or 
like morning edition. It was an NPR interview where he talks about some of what he thinks was problematic in his past and some of the regrets he has about some of the comedy he did. He's just very, uh, I would say, overly self-aware in a way that produces a very specific kind of comedy Mm. that he makes. So I would recommend checking out his interviews. Okay. Anyway, you can catch this on Netflix. We'd love to hear what you think. Um, Mm -hmm. I'd be really interested to know if people liked it. If they didn't like it, you can leave us a voice memo. Um, You can hit us up on Twitter, wherever you want to find us. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash HiveMindHQ. Right now, we are about to record our first episode in the Best Picture winners of all time. We're doing Gone with the Wind. Mm-hmm. And boy, oh boy, that's going to be an easy one to talk about and not problematic <laughs> at all. So check that out. Uh, patreon.com forward slash HiveMindHQ. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>